0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, then I want to talk to Kevin.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no one talks to Kevin.
2: Kevin's value is
0: immeasurable. Mm-hmm. Okay, You'll never even get mm-hmm. close mm-hmm. to him. True. I mm-hmm.
2: would murder you to protect Kevin.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. I am David Chen.
2: I'm Siddhanta Adlokho.
3: Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to discuss season one, episode nine of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, the season finale of the show. Uh, so happy to be back here with Siddhant. And I thought, hey. Since you folks have done such a great job covering this episode in my absence, arguably a better job than I would have done, arguably. And, in fact, many listeners did try to make that argument. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but since you guys have done such a great job of uh, covering the show in my absence, I thought I'd bring on Dan Gavazan from the Amazing Spider Talk podcast as well to join us. Dan, thanks for being with us today. really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm thrilled to come back. It, uh, you know it's nice to kind of wrap a bow on this whole thing. Yes. The kind of experiment of having me step in. So uh yeah, I'm excited to talk about it and what an episode to talk about.
2: Yeah, indeed. And indeed. Go ahead, Sidon. Much like much like She Hulk itself, even though this is technically David Chen's show, it's really me and Dan who are the main event.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well you can find more episodes
2: of this podcast
3: at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com uh, and find us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube, at DecodingTV. Uh, that is our handle across uh, many, many platforms on the internet. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to be spoiling everything through Season 1, Episode 9 of She-Hulk. And also, uh, we are going to reflect on the place of She-Hulk attorney at law within the broader landscape of MCU as it has appeared and manifested on TV and on Disney+. Plus. Um, so that is the agenda for today. I also just want to call out that obviously this is the final episode of our She Hulk recap, and um, uh, but it's not the final episode of Decoding TV. Obviously, we're still covering Andor, and there will be other shows in the future that we will cover, uh, and we are we will have more contributors coming on in the very very near future. Uh, To help us cover those shows And I'm really excited about it Uh, Extremely grateful for the work of Sinanth and Dan Extremely grateful for the work that they will do In the future for Decoding TV As well as all the new stuff we have coming down the pipeline So keep it subscribed At podcast.decodingtv.com Because it's not the end folks There's a lot more stuff coming All right, let's get into the episode Season 1, episode 9 The finale Go ahead Sinanth, you seem like you want to say something? (laughs) Right oh, I was just
2: taking a deep breath. Um, <laughs> no, no, that, look, that's right.
3: uh, I mean, here I let, let's start with it. Let's start with this. I, I was not here the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And so uh, I wanna share some of my quick thoughts on yes, the last please. couple episodes, right? Because yeah. I wasn't here. I, I listened to you guys talk about it and had a great time uh, you know hearing hearing that.
2: Mm. Um, you you left, and they finally brought Daredevil
3: in. <laughs> <laughs> they were waiting until David Chen stopped. They knew they could not withstand the full might of a Dave Chen coverage of that of that topic. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I thought episode eight, uh, you know, episode seven, the retreat f- felt like kind of a fun diversion. But episode eight really upped the stakes, and it was like, oh, this is uh, – this is actually like interesting. It really felt like the show was trying to say something with episode eight by having a character uh, weaponize uh, Jen's sexuality against her in a very uh, awful way in, in which it was done. And I was like, I, I felt uh, anger while watching the episode. You know, I felt like there were stakes, um, and I, I felt aggrieved on Jen's behalf that she had to go through this. Um, and I felt like the show was finally kind of like ramping up when it came to. Uh, you, know, you know, delivering on some of the the promise of the premise and and some of the execution. So, uh, I really liked episode eight. I was like, woo bold uh, bold entry into the series." So, all that said, here we are at episode nine. Whose show is this? And uh, let's start with overall thoughts. Stanislavka, what did you think of season one, episode nine She Hulk?
2: Well, I'll say this much: the show has finally really put me in She-Hulk's shoes in that it made me mad. (laughs) Okay, okay. Mad at how good it was, Sananth? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a normal thing people say. Um, No, it's an episode that I, you know, as you know, I've enjoyed most of this show and I enjoyed a lot of this episode until it got to a point where I didn't. And I'm sure we'll get into the details of why. Okay, all right. Uh,
3: Dan Kavazin, your overall thoughts on this one?
1: I mean, I think uh, the, the safest thing to say about this episode is that it's a bold choice <laughs> uh, and uh, that's going to hit people in different ways, you know, and and maybe different ways simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I feel uh, a lot of those feelings, which is like both admiring some of those choices mm-hmm. and also feeling like maybe those choices were cop outs. Um, and uh, by the end of this show, I kind of feel like the show never really knew what it was interested in saying about both, like, Jen, the character, and all the things that she gets him in, uh, involved in, whether it be, like, you were just discussing, like, uh, women's sexuality, and, uh, in this episode, specifically, like, incels and that kind of crazy online community, and, uh, her legal practice. And it just felt like a mess. And we'll get into it in this episode. They finally start calling out what a mess it is. But I also, I think that's kind of a cop out as much as it's kind of enjoyable to see the curtain pulled back uh, uh, on the whole thing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm mad more than I'm like, like, uh, it's not smart to call yourself lazy kind of thing. Mm
2: hmm.
3: There is uh, a line at the beginning of Paul Haggis's movie Crash. You guys watch that movie Crash, right? Yeah, where, where are you going with this? Oh, <laughs> trust. Trust. I, I mean, I am, I am on the
1: edge of my seat <laughs> right now, David.
3: I mean, he, the, 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 the script begins like this It's that sense of touch. Any real city you walk, you're bumped, you brush past people in LA, no one touches you. We're always behind metal and glass. Sometimes I think we miss that touch so much, we crash into each other just to feel something, you know. And uh, that's that's the quote from the car. And then that was that was stirring, uh, from dude. from Crash. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome. You say
2: like they do in the movie? We crash into each other.
3: I mean, I thought I did. I thought I did a pretty good Don Cheadle impression gonna, just now. But emphasize. I'm sorry, you don't feel that way. Um, <laughs> but then, basically, I think it's. Uh, Eva Mendes' character, if i uh, if I recall correctly, but some, somebody basically responds like, "Are you doing okay? Like, is it you know?" <laughs> they, they call they call out like they call out that that's like a very over the top like melodramatic line to say, you know, to to just be monologuing to yourself. So the question is, if a show commits a bunch of sins and then it is self awarely calls out the fact that it has committed those sins, should it then receive forgiveness for those sins? Is the question, right? Uh, and I don't think so, <laughs> personally, you know? I think uh, even if you've uh, done the bad thing, like, like, you still said the lie. Just because you called out that you did the bad thing doesn't mean, doesn't mean you didn't do the bad thing. And I think that's kind of what we saw in this episode, which, again, we're going to get into. But spoilers, basically, uh, this episode tries to interrogate the very nature of what a Marvel show is. Uh, and, and it is clearly chafing against the constraints of a Marvel show. But you still feel like that struggle is there. Like, the struggle is still evident. It's not like um, they've invented the struggle and, re- and referred to an invented struggle. Like, I think we felt that struggle throughout the entire run of the show, right? So, anyway.
1: Well, here's the, here's the real question. Is, do we feel like they want us to think... That that struggle, as you put it, um, was by design and that like they had kind of set this up for this finale to then make fun of all of that or that the finale was arrived at as a result of. Knowing that they had made these <laughs> these uh, errors, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that's how all these writers always want to play it. Like I look at my my go to isn't Crash for this. My go to <laughs> is um, Jurassic World. Your go to isn't Crash. Okay. You know, I mean, I mean, just Shocking. generally
3: it is, but not for this specific thing. <laughs> okay, good. Um,
1: but like I, I go to Jurassic World where there's mm-hmm. literally a character in the like security offices that's a fan of Jurassic Park and he's like oh they're always trying to make it bigger and one up it and and he's calling out all the problems with Jurassic Park sequels and then the movie just ignores him and doubles down on all the problems that he says and it's like you don't get points for having the character point out how bad your movie is. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's funny because Colin Trevorrow kind of acknowledged this in recent interviews. He's like, there's no reason for Jurassic Park sequels, but I'm going to keep making them. And uh, so, you know, like, like, do they want us to think that they're, they were smart retroactively or even like that, that was part of the, the, the recipe mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, like, I, I think, I mean, maybe you can never know but I tend to think people are not willing to like damage their show that significantly, only to then call it out.
3: <laughs> I yeah, I, I think uh, I was reading Miles McNutt's newsletter, Episodic Medium, which is a great newsletter, and he was saying uh, the this episode of She Hulk: Attorney at Law is like, hey, I don't want to make a I don't want to make a Marvel show. I want to make this legal comedy. That's kind of what this episode's saying, and. Miles McNutt asked the question, "Well, why didn't you just make the legal comedy then? Like, why did why did you have to make the Marvel show? It, it, you know, was there someone telling you you had to make it? That is an interesting story to me. Then, right? Then, if if the story is Kevin Feige forced them to put all these elements into the show, and then they're like, oh, I don't really want to put these elements into the show, and then they made an episode, uh, kind of lampooning that dynamic. That's actually kind of interesting, uh, to me because it's like." This is the way the writers are striking back at the MCU template. But it's just weird as a viewer because you're like, well, I don't know if that was actually
2: how it played out. You know, we we don't have that background information. So, yeah. Well, it's also just kind of – go ahead, Yeah, I was going to say my go-to for comparison is neither Crash (laughs) nor Jurassic World as much as, you know, I I love those two movies. It is – my go-to is the sort of flaky, shitty friend – Who will say, who will do something really crappy and then be like, oh yeah, I know, I'm an asshole. But then just like,
0: (laughs) keep doing that and keep
2: doing that and not, and not, and not like make up for it in any way. So my problem is not that these things were like pointed out in the show. My problem is that the entire finale or third act revolves around them saying, no, 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 we're not going to do these things. No, no, no. Here we're actually going to do it better. We're going to, this is what it's actually about. This is, it's about Jen's character. It's about this. It's about that. And then it doesn't actually, and and, and then does does not
3: deliver on the, those things, right? It does not. Yeah. 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 Uh, I agree. Not to mention that the show has been using the other MCU Easter eggs and elements to kind of, keep people talking about the show throughout the entire run of the show, right? Like, they've thrown in these, like, who wants She-Hulk's blood and, like, all this other stuff throughout the show. Like, here's Wong and here's other people from the, here's bill blood, like, to kind of, like, keep you engaged with the show. But then at the end to be like, and guess what? We don't want to do that anymore. Or we, we never wanted to do it and we don't want to now. We're not going to do it for the finale. It's like, okay, I mean, fair enough. But also, you know, you, you they still actively deployed those elements to um to keep people engaged throughout the show so and they didn't
2: yeah, do anything uh, else um, instead
3: yeah, the, uh, yeah. A, a much
1: more fun version of this whole
3: show is
1: if the whole thing is a like in the confines of a marvel show and she-hulk is chafing against it the whole season and finally in this final episode breaks free and goes and addresses the kevin bot uh, ab- about this and 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 that is like the spine of the show is mm-hmm. but instead she's gleefully going along with it like she's the one that points out oh look we're connecting a plot to b plot yeah and she yeah. she is joyfully and you know engaging in this and and never really calls out the fact that they've lost their lawyerly interests along the way um but i did want to respond to something you're saying earlier i do think it's interesting that like there's a space for this kind of episode to exist in the Marvel framework. Like, mm. I think we've all had that dream where like you're leaving a job and you just write that one really like 10 page long letter and you send it to your boss that details all the problems with the workplace. And then you can sit back smug and self-satisfied that like you, you really got it. Like, uh, like th- that place will know that you left your imprint and, they're going to be worse off without you there, but they have to deal with all these other problems. And um, like, but when you're in a studio like situation like this, like who was the one that brought this pitch to Kevin and was like, look, we're like, we're going to make fun of you and really point out the confines that you put us in. Um, Like there is a certain amount of like willingness to make fun of yourself that is admirable to a certain degree to even feel like there's a, a space within this organization that feels comfortable even pitching this idea to a higher up. Um, Cause I could see a lot of other places like people being terrified to even like try to perform something like this. I, I don't know if that makes any sense.
3: Well, apparently Kevin was uh, Kevin Feige in real life was really game with it. Jessica Gao has given an interview uh, on the comicbook.com phase zero podcast uh, where she talked about, selling kevin feige on the idea and she says they tried like different versions of what kevin in the machine in this episode looked like and uh they even had one with a black baseball cap like kevin feige wears in real life and kevin feige was like you can't have him wearing a black baseball cap that doesn't make any sense why would a robot wear a baseball cap um and she was like why are you why is that the one thing that bothers you about this scene
1: <laughs> the, <laughs> the, why would a robot wear a baseball cap Tells you everything you need to know about Kevin Foggy's approach to the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe, which is like, we'll have Civil War and they'll fight at an airport, and uh, everybody's costume has to have nanotech and be grounded. <laughs> Why would a mm-hmm. robot wear a baseball cap? Mm-hmm, that, that, mm-hmm. I'm going to hold on to that forever.
3: All right. Well, let's dive into the episode itself. We're talking about She Hulk, season one, episode nine. Uh, and. The episode opens with a throwback style opening theme, which is very similar to the Bill Bixby Hulk opening theme. Fun little throwback, uh, almost shot for shot. I think is uh, is it who who's, who's notes are these? Are these dance or or sit on? Sit Sorry, down. these are my notes. Okay, yeah, dance. Yeah, almost a shot for shot remake. And yeah, it's cool. Like the voiceover, the font. They even do it in a, I think a four by three aspect ratio. Very fun, very very delightful. We find out that that's actually a dream that Jen is having. Uh, and she wakes up in the damage control supermax prison, where we learn that hey, uh, a lot of people are upset that she kind of tore that whole place down last episode, uh, and they're not going to file charges, but they are willing to not file charges if she wears an inhibitor and um, decides not to become She-Hulk anymore, right? Pretty much, and
2: that is the end of that story. Like <laughs> that's that, that's it. <laughs> yep, like.
3: I I have no follow-up questions about that storyline.
1: Can I be (laughs) honest about how I felt in this exact moment? And, And this ties into the end of this episode, which is like, I was like, oh, they're bringing back that thing they introduced in the first episode that, like... Bruce, uh and maybe they did have a plan all along about how to bring all this together and wrap it up. I had like good feelings at this point in the episode. I was like, maybe the whole thing was disjointed, but they had a plan and all these little pieces will start to come together. Um anyway, I was that guy.
3: Yeah. It is it is interesting to reflect on like the things they did choose to spend time on in this episode, given you know, that there there was no further resolution to that uh, that plotline, as on just indicated. Jen moves back home. Um, Nikki's helping her untangle the web of who is Hulk King and who is in the intelligentsia and so on. Um, because Jen is still like, even though she's lost her job, she's still like, I'm going to get these people that did this to me, right? As well, she should. Um, there's a scene where Dennis Bukowski is on TV saying terrible things about Jen. You know, I was just like, why, why are we having Dennis Bukowski coming back? That, that, that's weird. I understand, like... The broader meta point is this idea of like um, – uh, my my sense is one of the points the show's trying to make is like if you are a celebrity or in this case, more specifically, like a woman who is popular or famous online, like people can just say all this stuff about you and you have like no control over it. Um, but it just felt like a very, you know, random – thing to happen in this episode. I don't I was like, is Pukowski going to become important in the episode? Um, But I think it's, I guess it's just kind of dealing with a fallout of, of what happened with, uh, with the events of last episode. Uh, And eventually uh, Nikki is able to bait the Hulk King using a video that she finds of Jen dancing in college uh, and able to get invited to an incel gathering at a barn somewhere. Uh, where Nikki and Pug then attempt to infiltrate the gathering and find out who the true identity of Hulk, Hulk King is, which we later learn that it's Todd. It's Todd, who we saw earlier tried to date She-Hulk and then encounter She-Hulk slash Jen at her law office, and he's obviously really into her. Um, but he's really into her because he wants to steal her blood. So, uh, Dan or Siddhanta, any thoughts on this whole sequence of events up until the incel gathering? Dan, go ahead
1: yeah, my my feeling about this is, um, you know, the the incel gathering in itself is just like, in its very construction, it's very metatextual, right? Like, it's responding to what they perceive would be criticisms of the show based on, like, I think, really solid uh, ongoing evidence of how the internet works and reacts to pretty much anything. And um, there was a similar reaction to the comics, and a lot of the responses here really feel like they're – like. Almost just word for word copying the responses to uh, some a bunch of comic changes that happened a few years ago in Marvel Comics. the mm-hmm. introduction of like a female Thor, um, an Asian Hulk, like like all the uh, characters of Black Captain America, all the characters got changed, and everything that they say here is pretty much straight out of that thing. But for me, this scene, like as much as I enjoyed that kind of making fun of incels, Uh, element that's been kind of a feature of this show. There's this sort of like, like in the world of the MCU, these characters seem to know and be commenting on it. Like the MCU is a property that exists within their world. Um, And we do do that with celebrity culture, um, which is a part of the show, not something that they've interrogated that thoroughly. um, But it, I, I feel like it's like m- so metatextual that it elevates all of these characters in the show to She-Hulk's level of meta awareness and ability to break the fourth wall um, that even is doubled down on with like Wong and Blonsky in the post credit scene where they acknowledge that they're in fact in a TV show. And I know it's a post credit
3: scene. So well, really no, like, no, they yeah. don't. Exactly, Dan. That could be taken both ways. Could it? He, yes, because Wong was marathoning Sopranos earlier this sh- season, remember? Oh, yeah, You know what?
1: Actually, that's really clever. It's very
3: clever. Um, it's very clever. Cause he's like, he's uh, like, Oh, you got stuck in another TV show, huh? And he's like, Yeah, it's just so much peak TV going on. He could be talking about another TV show uh, that we're watching or he was okay. marathoning another t- So yeah, I, I at first thought that I was like, Oh, it's genius. It's because he was watching The Sopranos earlier. Yeah, that was very. Oh, funny. that is that is yeah. actually
1: clever. Yeah, 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 yeah uh, no, You know, yeah. I I won't rescind my full point. I will rescind <laughs> that element of my point. But um, I I like, think I, I think, get, think your
3: point I, is taken I, that yeah. it's like it's like it's like using Reddit terminology or Twitter terminology so closely that it almost feels like oh they're just directly parodying those people as opposed to what these characters in this universe might be saying about that character is kind of what you're saying. Yeah.
1: Right? We, we just have no context for like what people, I mean, mostly because we never see civilians in the MCU anymore, but we just have no context for what people like really feel about these people. And if the mm. show was all about celebrity or all about law practice, like it could maybe have like get grounded us in, in that. So this actually like landed, but then you know, a couple years ago, David, or maybe it was a year ago, I remember you and I talking about the celebrity of Falcon who had to sell meal kits out of the back of his car, you know, to in order to restore his boat. Like, what is the true status of these characters?
3: So, if, if, I, um, if I, David Chen, can make enough money on Cameo to survive, <laughs> to, to pay my bills, <laughs> then freaking Falcon is going to be okay, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Falcon, yeah. a.k.a. the new Captain America, does not need to... Sell meal kits, in my, in my opinion. But anyway. Just going off what Dan was saying, it is... I'm not on Cameo, by the way. One, one day, maybe.
2: Oh, God. No, <laughs> I, got, no I had Chan all these fans. dreams just shattered. No David Chen fans. <laughs> one day, one day. Um, I was going to say, like, just going off what, what Dan was saying, it is text without any real text or subtext. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just what this episode kind of was. And I didn't really dislike it uh, up until a certain point. Yeah, that that can still be a
3: fun, zesty enterprise, you know, to have just just put the text in the show, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, as much as my first thought in that um, Supermax scene was like, "Oh, is that all we're going to see of of Mallory Book of Renee Elise Goldsberry?" You know how I feel about the uh, the misuse of the original Hamidl- Hamilton cast. I know, uh, I feel very I strongly about it. I, between uh, what, between that and
3: Westworld, like yeah. uh, they're really they're really not using Hamilton cast to their fullest extent, in, you know. Yeah.
1: I want to know what those negotiations are like. You know,
3: like uh, they made this happen somehow. Like, what
1: what kind of character were they sold on that they did not get to perform? I think
3: they were sold a character of a Brinks truck full of money uh, to <laughs> to appear in like in like thirty minutes of screen time in these in these two hit shows.
1: Uh, but, a, yeah. a truck full of Falcon meal kits.
3: <laughs> 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 That's been sitting in the sun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, anyway, any other thoughts on this this sequence, Adanth? Uh,
2: Yeah. Again, I, I thought the the Pug trying to fit in, I thought, was hilarious. That was very funny. Each episode, it was very funny. Which I yeah. find really funny. I think that actor is fantastic. Oh, um, my,
3: my, favorite, just... my favorite bit was when Nikki says... Uh, Nikki's trying to talk to Pug, and he's like, put this earpiece in. And he's like, aren't they going to see I have an earpiece? And she's like, you're not going to be the one wearing one. And it's like, oh, I totally get what she... Yeah. That, was, that was
2: awesome. <laughs> that was amazing. And of course, I understand, you know, where that scene is going. But then um just going going forward again well forward in the episode but back to what we were talking about with all the meta stuff like taking a step back it's like if you remove the meta thing and i don't mean ignore it i just mean take a step back and look at this episode as a story what is the story of this episode you know it is uh jen gets out of prison and then she shows up at a place and then presumably nothing happens or cops show up or something and then people get arrested and then the episode ends as she is going to court as the real story is about to begin you know of her like going on this legal crusade or whatever it is uh after ha- her having reference like no it would be a better arc if i did this it would be better if this happens and you know like we said none of that happens um which puts the whole incel intelligentsia thing in a weird place because it feels like such a passing reference at the end of it like you know we we get its meta purpose right to make you know uh sort of real world commentary on how uh female characters and real women are you know you know sometimes the targets of these sort of online responses but look at it this way what what is todd's whole deal like did did he go on a date with she hulk for the express purpose of doing this, of, of like getting her blood. Was that, was that when he became infatuated with this idea of power? Like I, 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 I and this is also like the first time she Hulk yeah. is sort of even coming across the intelligentsia. Like she doesn't care about like the antagonist of this season. Right. I mean, I think you are concerned with questions that the
3: show, it's certainly the finale is clearly not concerned with not even yeah. concerned with asking, but not even like, not even concerned with exploring, not even it's like not even concerned
2: with asking these questions in, in from my perspective. Right. Um, so, yeah, but, but the thing is like, again, in that, in that Kevin scene, like we have the character all, but turning to the camera and saying, no, we're not going to do the battle stuff. We are going to do better, more character centric stuff that, doesn't happen and that's where my frustration right right right. i'm hopping on this no 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 no, no.
3: Well, well you know let's so let's get to it right so then jen goes to blonsky's retreat she thinks it's going to be like a normal retreat but in fact uh blonsky is giving a talk to the incels at his lodge and i thought that was actually kind of a neat little uh plot point the idea that like hey blonsky seems to have come off as uh, reformed in some ways, right? And no longer evil. And he saw this as kind of a paid corporate speaking gig. But yeah. even, even just doing a paid corporate gig uh, is not necessarily the right move if it's the wrong crowd. And I, I like that, mm-hmm. that that was kind of a very subtle point that was made in the course of the episode. Um, but then Todd uh, injects himself with blood that he got from She-Hulk, and then he starts becoming a Hulk. And that's when Jen's like, wait. Uh, oh, no, no, another And other stuff happens too. Uh, Bruce Banner shows up, and, he, Titania. He, and Titania for some reason, and uh, and they all start going at it. She's like, "Wait, okay, we got to stop." And then probably like one of the coolest moments from the whole season happens, which is it exits the the show yeah. seems to exit out to the Disney Plus menu, mm-hmm. and then you see like She Hulk bust out of uh, one of the icons on the on the desk, like the Disney Plus menu, and she s- swings from where she is. In the screen down to a different carousel where the Marvels Assembled is, which is the making of series, great cross promo. Yeah. But I want to pause here and say uh, I'm really glad we all got to go through the She Hulk comics together because obviously this is extremely similar to moments in the She Hulk comics when like She Hulk at one point like rips open the reality of the comic book and like comes out of the comic book and like you know uh, it's a it's a great homage to mm-hmm. to that idea. I thought uh, Dan, you you know you've. I think you're probably the most familiar with she of all of us. Like, what'd you think of that moment?
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought it was great. I, I, I was fully on board with what they were doing at this point in the episode. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I, you know, because it, I was excited to see where it would go. And, and, you know, and, and I, and I, it's I'm mostly in like retrospect where I my complaints with it really right. started to to appear. But um, at this point, it was like, all right, like they're gonna actually do something interesting with this. Like uh, I'm on board. Like because up to this point, it had been like a couple like one liner jokes. I mean, we even got the the narrator joke earlier in this episode, which I thought was funny. But it's not like a full throated idea of how to use fourth wall breaking and here it's like okay like like let's do something for real yeah and uh like at this point i was like okay cool um let's really do this and yeah anyway that's how i felt at the time
2: yeah yeah same i was you know conceptually i'm into it as an idea and i was you know kind of excited and amused when it was happening for sure
3: yeah yeah yeah. initially so so then she Emerges into the real, She-Hulk emerges into the real world on the Disney lot or wherever they do their, uh, making of their shows. And she breaks into the writer's room for She-Hulk. And we see it. It looks like a fairly convincing writer's room. There's like episode outlines on the wall. And I, I
1: Which don't... are hilarious, by the way. If you pause it, like mm-hmm. really funny stuff written on the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like,
3: do you have any examples, Dan, or are you just uh,
1: there's like gamma goo yeah. and <laughs> you know, like uh, just things like that. On um, I, you know, I I paused it because the guy at the board is Zeb Wells, who's writing Amazing Spider-Man right now, and uh, th- there were some Easter eggs there for his you know Spider-Man run, uh, kind of tucked away in the corners. Uh, but the best one I think is. Um, uh, there's something about Mark's knees, um, which is, are like Mark's knees. <laughs> I thought it was are men's attractive. men's
3: knees are attractive. Oh,
1: maybe that's it. I thought yeah. it was, I thought it said Mark's knees. Yeah. But uh, e- either way, uh, some funny stuff written on the board there.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she, pro- uh, Jen Walters slash She hulks protests. Uh, why are you having this guy inject super blood into himself? It's so cliche. Uh, and, and the people in the room Both argue that Hey, superhero movies Are supposed to have A certain formula Or superhero TV shows Are supposed to have A certain formula And it's all guided by Kevin I will say I was watching the show With closed captions on As I do for yeah. all Decoding TV shows And they they used an acronym For Kevin K.E.V.I.N At that point I was like Something's a little weird here mm-hmm. mini, mini spoiler through the captions
0: Which yeah. I don't think They had to do by the way Putting that out there But anyway
3: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We then find out that Kevin is the knowledge-enhanced vision interconnectivity nexus that guides all the shows. Uh, And obviously, we thought it was going to be Kevin Feige. Instead, it's a robot Self-owned there. Anyway, <laughs> who does kind of have a baseball cap? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I like the naming because that's very Marvel to do. To like Back name M. something, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, I, yeah, that's, uh, like Shield, that's or, you know, lot of fun. Shield yeah.
3: or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So on, uh, we did a bonus episode with uh, Ashley Eskeva about Werewolf by Night uh, on the Decoding TV feed. You should go check that out. And uh, something that Ashley and I discussed was. Both in that movie and also in She-Hulk, they often cut away when She-Hulk or the the character is transforming, presumably for budgetary reasons. And it's very noticeable in She-Hulk. Like, you see She-Hulk transform maybe three times over the course of the last, you know, four times over the course of the last nine episodes. It's not very frequent. And they actually refer to it here. You know, he says, I'm, you must transform into Jennifer. Like our visual effects team is working on something else now, which like, I don't love it. I don't love that. You know, Marvel is large. Like go Google Marvel visual effects and you will find countless stories of how people feel abused and mistreated by Marvel visual effects artists uh, in in general or underpaid. Um, And so it just is pretty rich for marvel to be saying oh yeah we only have one team and they're working on something else no you have tons of teams and you're paying them poorly so i don't like that as a joke but anyway yeah,
2: that's that's when i started to get mad like, <laughs> yes. i didn't even mind i didn't even mind that they had you know a joke about her transforming uh yes, but off then, screen which is a thing i've brought up a lot right but but then to sort of Whitewash your own history. Mm-hmm. Not even, it's not his. It's like what's happening right yeah, what's now. What's happening whitewash, now? Right? Yeah. yeah, to to yeah. to whitewash your corporate image that way. It's a genuinely ugly thing. Yeah, because it's it's not just like a oh, difference of opinion. This is what the fans think. what we think about our climaxes. It is talking about corporate abuse. That mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah, and I wish I could you know speak differently about it, but I can't. And that's what. That's the first thing that made me. <laughs> wow! Just the first of several things,
3: but yes, I agree. It's yeah. it's kind of make, it's making a joke out of a thing that is legitimately troubling. Basically, right? It was it so,
2: was very yeah. uh, Taika Waititi making fun of yeah. uh, the visual effects in his movie Energy, except Taika wasn't the one you know well that was like un- a, spur of the, the was like a yeah. spur of the moment that was like a spur
3: of the moment you know this is like someone wrote this someone animated it it passed like multiple checks like yeah. you know it's, this is less okay than the Taika thing the Taika thing was not good not okay but like this is way more troubling in my opinion so yeah. I, think, I think we're right on the same page okay
1: um, I am I am curious to talk about the design of that space. Could we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, moment? sure. Because Go ahead, Dan. Like, you know, this is a rare instance where Marvel gets to kind of like self-mythologize the behind the scenes mm-hmm. within the MCU. Yeah. So like, you know, it's the real Disney lot. I've been on that lot many times. I've been right by the building that is the writer's room, and I'm sure that might actually be their headquarters. And then That seems you, to be
2: the real lobby, yeah.
1: Yeah. And no, that is the real lobby. I've been yeah. there. And okay. uh uh, the you know, and I, I'm I'm sure it's an actor as the as the guard, you know, but the NDA station and all that <laughs> oh, stuff. Yeah. You know, um, and I even beat up cops when I was there. So that was fun. <laughs> Another <The> story. Black Widow all the way from my Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, this space that Kevin inhabits, you know, like, I, I think it's interesting what they choose to emphasize there. You know, you've got the giant, like, HD wall that's mm-hmm. almost a sort of, like, recreation of the opening Marvel, like, uh, logo uh, of sorts. And, yeah, um, yeah. And, but then you've got these, like, shrines for the comics that are, like, spinning around, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, even in the uh, the credits, which I don't think we've ever mentioned the kind of hand-drawn uh, things in the credits, which I quite like. Yeah, they're, they're, really they're awesome.
3: Like. They're be- yeah. really beautiful, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't love the score in the credits. I think it's like really weird. But the but the, the I I always stick around to see those drawings and and the one of like the Kevin bot reading the She Hulk comic. You know, it it's it sells you on this idea of like the reverence of comic books to this company. And I thought it was an interesting note as part of like a self mythologizing that you can suggest that you're cold and uh, AI driven. And yet you're also, you know, like, like, it's like a machine learned how the comics worked or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I, it was interesting. It's mythologizing that they like clearly want to communicate that comics are of value to them in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: It's also interesting to see in the last year, we've seen multiple shows and movies Directly address the idea that algorithms run their studios to some degree. Like, uh, yeah, Space Jam Two is an example. Um, Barry, the HBO uh, original mm-hmm. series, also has a s- significant plot line about this. Um, uh,
1: Matrix Revolutions.
3: Oh yeah, Matrix Resurrections. I think is what Sorry, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really. Uh, I think it reflects like an anxiety, you know, in Hollywood about uh,
2: the machines taking over and making creative decisions. But. Or maybe it is the machines taking over and becoming self-aware and putting that into the content. Do <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you think about that?
1: <laughs> turn on our, meta, turn mm-hmm. our meta dial up to 12. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So anyway, Jen is really unhappy with the state of the show. She's like, this cannot end like this. This is supposed to be a legal comedy. Uh, and then she explains why the ending that they have chosen is bad. The ending that the entire show... <laughs> has been kind of building... Like, it's not just, like, one episode. It's, like, multiple episodes ago, they're seeding in all these details about who Todd is and uh, all these, you know, who Emil Blonsky is. All, all these things are leading to this ending, which, say what you will about the tenets of Marvel TV shows, at least it's an ethos, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's been driving to this ending, and Jen's like, no, 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 let's not do any of that. Uh, let's change all these things. Now, I actually agree that Jen's changes are good. They're not, yep. they're not bad changes. Um. I think Sidon you and I, it sounds like you and I agree that the problem is we then don't see what that episode is. We just it just cuts to the end of that
2: episode, right? Yeah, because she says something interesting. She says um, you know, the blood isn't the villain or the powers aren't the villain. Todd is the villain. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't see Todd the villain. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there there is no resolution. There is no again, I said this already. There's no story for Jen in this episode. Mhm. There isn't. Well like- well well I mean
3: we saw enough of Todd to know that he's bad but we saw Todd in the context of his ultimate game plan was injecting the blood into himself. If you take that away, what was Todd's plan? Like we we don't know. I think is what what you're saying, right? Like
1: what is it? Men will inject themselves with blood rather than going to therapy? <laughs> uh, 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 like the end of the show should have been Todd going to like a like a help group or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. like for real. Like that that's how you would end it.
3: Yeah. Right, right, which, which is not a bad ending in, in in any respect, but like it it felt like we were missing An episode or half an episode that was what Jen outlined, you know, from my perspective. When
2: when she returns from that, you know, meta sphere, like what what the episode obviously should have done was come back and redo its climax in, you know, uh, the way that Jen suggested or in a more satisfying way. Instead, we actually just do get a third act fight scene, kind of, and then we skip to what happens after the fight. That's all that that meta escape serves. It just... You know, it's not like I was clamoring for like, oh, yes, give me a third act Marvel fight. Um, but honestly, I kind of would have preferred it to what we ended up getting.
1: Mm-hmm. Come back to season two for thematic depth and emotional complexity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that,
2: that's the cliffhanger.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But I mean, I mean, I think that, he, yeah, I mean, so that's a really big open question is what is season two going to be? Are they basically repudiating? many of the components of season one and like season two is going to be a whole different like season two is not going to have the marvel extraneous elements and and then what's so bizarre too so so here's the thing Siddhanth. if they did it your way like there there is something kind of funny about daredevil just showing up at the end like that is yeah. kind of that is kind of funny and so i'm like oh i get it it's just funny but then the show then proceeds from that point to be the show that Jen didn't want it to be, which is Bruce Banner shows up at dinner and here's my son, Blorco. I mean, Scar, (laughs) right? Like, it's just like, okay, it's the most random character introduction. That's clearly just done. And I get, I I guess it's supposed to be like self-aware, right? Like, Oh, ha ha ha. This is what usually happens at the end of Marvel things. But they've just, but they've just spent the last 10 minutes repudiating that style of storytelling. So it's just, it's really odd. Scar showing up at the end.
2: Scar I thought his name was Blorco. No, no, no? it's Scar. Okay, never mind. Um I I like that again like he shows up for all of like 0. 0.8 seconds looking like a half rendered Mark Ruffalo like it's, you know, <laughs>
1: It looks like an NPC character slipped into like <laughs> into this game. Like no I, somebody I got an arrow in the knee. So
2: oh uh, god, just kind of there like in the background like inserted as like a gag or something. Even though this is clearly meant to be like some huge, you know, earth-shattering setup for like a future Hulk thing, like whatever like you've well, you've just you've just like you said you've just told us that oh Marvel movies do this, they like to set stuff up stuff up for the future, and then yeah, they do it in just the worst, dumbest way possible. It's like if a fast and furious movie ended with like a new character being introduced at the family barbecue before yeah. the next one uh,
1: it's so silly that it's hard to tell whether or not it's satire, like are they making fun of this convention? Or, or is this a sincere uh, convention? Like, will we ever see Blorco again? I, I don't know. It's like, just its please... just
3: so weird. It's so weird because they just spent... Like, Jen just gave that whole speech about why this is a terrible way of telling stories. And then, then to then have that at the end, uh, you know... And she didn't... I don't even think she commented on it really explicitly. Like, she kind of gives a quizzical Jim Halpert-esque look, but I don't think she really comments on it,
2: so... Yeah, it I think very, it's... Matt Murdock, who says, "Oh, families, ha ha ha," or something. Like w- when you played the clip of the episode at the beginning, right? Um, there's she says something about Kevin, and then there is laughter. And I thought you had added a laugh track to to <laughs> highlight how mm. how much of a like sort of a canned thing this whole episode felt like.
3: <laughs> um, no. No, that was not that was not me that was not me, okay so then she goes uh the last scene is we see her about to go off to court, I guess to fight Todd in the civil suit, right is that kind of what I think she's doing there uh yep yep and and then and then she has a complete
1: change of ethos right she she adopts daredevil's whole I'm gonna you know practice law by day and fight crime at night. And no one will be free of my fascistic o- <laughs> overriding of man's laws. Um, but uh, th- this is just to underline that there's really no through line for the character, which is to say, why did she suddenly adopt this other than the fact that everybody thinks that Matt Murdoch is hot and charming, you know, like she just decides like, this is her new ethos, which, which, Maybe could have been satisfying if Matt introduced that and we saw her consider it, uh, but uh, here we are—a new version of Jen Walters at the end, uh, uh, declaring her role as a superhero. And I don't know why or how I should feel about that.
3: Well, also, did the in the gen endi- in the new Gen ending? I guess it was undone that she'd have to wear the inhibitor, right? Is that was that ever explicitly addressed?
1: Oh, um, I don't know. I guess everybody just felt better about it a- afterwards. Right. Because, yeah. you,
3: you know, at the, in the open, opening scene of the episode, she has to wear an inhibitor because of that terrible thing that happened last episode, right? So um, I was like, well, I guess she doesn't have to do that anymore.
2: I guess they just yeah. forgot about it. Yeah. Well, hope, hope that we would, which I think we did.
3: Well, I think I think they're just like, yeah, they clearly rewrote some of the ending and she gets to still be She-Hulk and, you know, that's that's what it is. Okay. So – that is the episode of the show. <sighs> um, yeah, so, I, I mean, there are, it's not a completely irredeemable finale, right? Like, there's some fun parts of it, and I uh, love what you had to say about kind of the mythos uh, making Dang Vosden, and um, we had some laughs, guys. We had some laughs. Siddhanth, did you
2: feel like you were able to fully explicate why you were so frustrated by this episode? It really was just, you know, towards the end, everything that happens towards the end. Because I thought, again, as usual, most of the episode was fine. I thought most of this show as a whole was fine, light, inoffensive, jokey, even though most of the episodes didn't really have endings. Uh, This one both has an ending and doesn't have an ending. It, It has an ending that involves the characters speaking directly to the audience and saying, hey, hey we're going to have a very different, very unique ending, and then nothing happens. Um, So, as much as I, you know, had a few laughs, this was the first episode where I really felt like, okay, they are... There was a sense of just not giving a damn, like... (laughs) And I know, like, you know, a lot of effort goes into making these shows, and, you know, the writers and directors have certain constraints, but... Uh, they're, they're just, it just seemed like there came a point in this episode where they had to throw their hands up and be like, all right, we can either do what every Marvel show does or not do anything. And I guess, you know, they're between a rock and a hard place and they kind of ended up going with the latter somehow. I think the point that Dan made earlier is an is a interesting one about
3: like, maybe they were under these Marvel constraints all season. And then as the season, as the show went on, they realized a, they didn't like it. And B they got permission to comment on the fact that they didn't like it and that that Mm -hmm. this is the episode that resulted. And if they'd had more budget, more time, maybe they would have made two episodes that covered what Jen's ending would have been, but they didn't have that. So they just kind of shoved it all in here. And it is still effective in, in the sense that I think if you're, as you're watching the episode, you still feel like it's quite subversive what they're doing, you know? Um, I would say,
2: like, okay, when She-Hulk breaks the fourth wall and comments on the nature of the comics, like in the John Byrne run that we covered, there's always some kind of story-centric reason for it that goes beyond just, look at me, I'm commenting on the nature of these kind of stories, you know? Mm -hmm. This felt like, like you said, reinforcing that nature despite commenting on it, which I think is somehow worse. It's like saying, well, you know, this is what all of them do. And we're not going to stop anytime soon. I think that's what kind of depressed. Well, me it, of
3: it. It, it, yeah. I mean,
2: they're
3: are obviously not going to stop in general, but in this episode, they did um, not give you the ending that we expect of a Marvel show, you know. And there is something to that, Siddharth. You know, that's that's worth <sighs> something, probably, right? Just t- technically, technically, mm-hmm. I'll give you that. Technically, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank, Vossen. <laughs> any any closing thoughts on this episode?
1: I mean, I think it's a memorable one to be sure, um, if if only for the choices made, uh, whether you agree with them or not. And so, uh, that inherently elevated in my mind, just because like so many of the Marvel properties to me don't seem to be making choices, uh, and you know, I, 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 I'll I'll always support something that like, uh, you know goes for something very specific and fails over something just kind of towed the middle of the line. And so like, I appreciate it on that level, even though I don't think it's like altogether successful, which I think it's just kind of repeating what you guys were just saying, which, you know, but um, it, it, it's not uh, a home run by any means, but uh, I, at least like, I I have respect for it in some regards um, rather than just kind of going for, The conventional ending that we would forget, maybe have forgotten already by the time of the recording of this thing.
3: Right, Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, say what you will about this uh, episode, Sanath. I think we'll probably remember it, you know? So that's a thing. That's true.
2: I mean, I remember the time I sprained my ankle. I don't (laughs) know if that's... (laughs) I
1: mean, yeah. Like I'm saying, I, I don't know if that if that has va- value, but like to to me, it somewhat like there is value to that than just like throwing an hour away. Like here, I I feel like I can at least react emotionally, yeah. to what even if it's in anger, um, uh, you know.
3: But at, I at I, least, I think it's really interesting to think about this show in the context of other Marvel shows, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think most Marvel shows have had really really strong beginnings and have kind of then eventually devolved into marvel got a marvel basically like they gotta uh get in those other characters that tie into the movies and so on and um there's been some exceptions to that like moon knight i would say is a notable exception didn't love moon knight but uh I, I did not feel like Moon Knight suffered because it was trying to get too many tie-ins into the rest of the, of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this show feels like it was really trying to do something different and didn't fully succeed according to the show because it had too many Marvel constraints. <laughs> right? Like that's kind of my take on it. Um, it's like, hey, can we make a legal comedy in the MCU? And from my perspective, the answer to this is mostly. Like, the answer to that question is mostly, you know, pretty much. But also, it will, it will also suffer from many of the other things that Marvel shows suffer from. Uh, and then But the fact that it's commenting on it doesn't change the fact that it's still suffering from those things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What, 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 I, what do you think, Dan?
1: I just yeah. want to know the timeline of, yeah. of how this all came together because we were talking, you know, last episode, and I know you guys had talked about the first episode being formerly episode eight and the rumors around that stuff, you know, um, because so much of this seems like a troubled production. If Even if, like, if reordering an episode is true, like, to me, that's a pretty big sign of a a troubled production or something that's trying to scramble and figure out what it is and, and what they're doing with it. And I would love to know, like if there was a diff, like if literally there was a different version of this script mm-hmm. that they were like, none of this is working. Let's just throw it out and, and see what we can do with it. Um, because like, I mean, it's kind of like a nihilistic punt, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I just, I mean, very curious about, what went on behind the scenes to allow for this to happen. Cause I, I could very well see people going, none of this is working. Let's throw our hands up and just, we can make fun of ourselves a little bit right? and yeah. that'll be enough for everybody to kind of like let us coast by for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and thankfully she Hulk is the exact property that we can do that with, yeah. you know? Um, Cause I didn't certainly seem to be this interested in the meta stuff earlier in, in the show. And now they're like, embracing it when it's most convenient to them
3: i I am Uh, bummed you know jessica Gao, who's the showrunner has said in interviews that she originally there was way more meta stuff in the show and i really miss that that's one of the things that makes the show most distinctive it's the meta stuff the commentary we got a little bit of that but i i wish the show had been like all that it'd been more that would be like very notable in my opinion
2: yeah, that would have then given you uh, a much more satisfying ending as well when she does like exit the show and all that, because you would have been building up to that too. And just to clarify for listeners, uh, the thing that Dan was referring to about Episode 8 uh, was the the talk earlier on that what was originally meant to be Episode 8, or the second last episode, uh, was then sort of re-edited and made the first episode of the show. Yeah.
3: So all the, all the the She-Hulk backstory was supposed to be in episode eight.
2: And the, the stuff, the stuff with Hulk on the retreat. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Like Bruce
1: Banner
2: on the retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. So I'm also curious, just like, like working backwards. Like let's say for example, this finale was the original agreed upon finale, right? Where nothing actually has to come to a conclusion and it's all going to kind of get lost in the wash. What does that mean for your writer's room writing all the stuff leading up to it? Right? Like, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it means you can kind of be lazy on developing those things because you know that no one's ever going to get a mm-hmm. conclusion to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, it gives you the, the, like, the safety of going, no, the show's going to say this is bad. And so, therefore, we really can do it poorly, you right, know? Right. Um, But I don't think that this show reflects a show that had that mantra because I think writers would then likely go, well, then let's really lean into it and make it even worse, you know, and make it like really, like I was saying earlier, a show that truly, truly feels trapped in the confines of the MCU instead of one that like kind of breaks out here and there. yeah, Um,
3: Or at least has Jen comment on it more, you know? Right. Exactly.
2: Because it's the show is not. A pastiche it's not a satire it is you know a semi-legal comedy semi-superhero comedy uh even though it is you know very tongue-in-cheek it's not being like oh look at how bad we are look at how bad shows like this are but it does so so the feeling that i get this is again just pure guesswork and i think we're all more or less agreed that this is probably how it went that you know they got to a certain point in the production and realized well one of the ways we can end this is by making fun of all the stuff that sucks because so much of it has sucked so far. And, you know, I know that's reductive language, and I did enjoy a lot of the show. But, um, yeah, I'd be curious to know, like, how this thing actually came about because at what point, unless you're making, like, Evangelion or something, at what point do you go, uh, oh, yeah, let's just turn our finale into meta commentary about making this show even though we really haven't been doing it so far
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well i think it was an interesting one folks some interesting decisions here obviously they're trying to do something new and then with the finale they definitely did something new um we all feel differently about how successful it was but you know what i don't have any doubt about
2: how much fun it was to talk
3: about the show with you guys (laughs)
1: Yeah. I, i'm we'll, just excited to follow up on blorco that's I was all say. i want hopefully
2: yeah. we'll all be back for when blorco starts on disney plus mm-hmm,
1: next year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yes i know blorco is scar don't don't write
2: david about that yeah no yeah. it's blorco it's mm-hmm. blorco now um but i do want to just say
3: a hearty thanks to both of you for um you know joining decoding tv to cover the show really appreciate it it has been fun and talking with you about the show um, has made it more fun. Or hearing you talk about the show has made it more fun. So thanks so much. And if you're listening to this, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Decoding TV. Uh, there will be more shows in the very near future we're going to be announcing that we're covering. So stay tuned to Decoding TV. In the meantime, I do want to ask folks, I do want to ask you folks, if they're enjoying your dialogue here on the podcast, where can they find more of your work Dank of Austin. Well, I you I
1: can be found on Twitter. I'm at at sup spider talk and I host a podcast called the amazing spider talk, which is all about Spider-Man uh, past, present, future. You love the movies, you love the comics, or you just want to know what makes this icon tick and, and how he came to be in the place of pop culture that he is today. Um, come check out amazing spider talk. Uh, you'll probably learn a lot about the character and hopefully have a great time. And I I did want to second Dave's uh, plug for Decoding TV. I'm a loyal listener uh, to Decoding TV, and I do hope that you guys check out some of the other shows he's covering because I think it's a really awesome platform.
2: Siddharth Adlaka, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, You can find my writing at a bunch of different outlets, including IGN, New York Magazine, and Polygon. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at at Siddhant Adlaka, and you can find some of the video essays I've written over at Cinefix and on the channel Patrick H. Willems. All right. That's going to do it for us uh, for today's episode of Decoding TV and this season of
3: She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And I'm just going to go out there and say if Decoding TV survives until season two of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, and there is a season two of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, we will probably cover it here. So uh, you can look forward to that as well. Until next time, thanks for listening. We'll see you later.